On 1116 SEN, the Four Diego's. G'day everyone and welcome to the Four Diego's here on 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport. Rodrigo Rodriguez with you. It's the disco edition of the uh, Four Diego's tonight. Uh, hey, and thanks to the basketball SEN call team on a fantastic call tonight. Vinny Venezuela, you're in the house as well. Good evening, Rodrigo. Let's party, baby. Good to see you for the fourth day in a row. And Carlos Alberto <laughs> Diego, you're here as well. How are you, Rodrigo? Uh, two hours normally, but we're gone. We're actually going past our plateau yes. to two and a half hours tonight. Uh, Anthony Grimer off Twitter. <laughs> Apparently, it's disco night on the Four Diego's tonight. Looking forward to it. And he's said a little bit of a... Um, you know, a uh, a Simpsons little disco uh, meme meme. There you go, which I quite like. <laughs> there you go, check it out on at Four Diego's. Thanks very much, Anthony from FFV, of course, uh, the Mister Community and Business, and we'll talk a bit more about that later on. But uh, tonight we've got two and a half hours. Stick yeah. around for the last half hour because anything could happen because uh, we normally <laughs> go for two hours. But uh, but tonight for the for, well for the whole show, yes, it's our fantastic pleasure. It's our immense pleasure to have an out and out Socceroos legend. In the studio, it's our fantastic pleasure to welcome Alan Davidson. Well, Alan, welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. <laughs> yes, all of our listeners will will know you, of course. And uh, and he's wearing his three piece suit. Yeah, of course, because he knows it's, it's disco, disco night. night. And Rodrigo, can I clarify? Is Alan here for job start? Is well, this, uh, <laughs> in place of Warren. <laughs> So, Alan, okay, that's a very good segue. Warren's not in the house, of course. No. You're much, much better looking than Warren. Mm. And, uh, you know, and that's take, take, take that the right way, of course, Alan. I'm not coming on to you or anything. But, uh, <laughs> it's disco night, Rodrigo. That's right. <laughs> Mate, what, Vinny says you, you're here on Job Start. What are you up to these days? Uh, actually, I'm not doing too much. Uh, <laughs> in, in, terms of, in terms of football, obviously, I'm still involved in the game with uh, the match review panel in, in FFA and the A-League. But um, it's been a tough three years, um, personally, with my wife. She's been ill with cancer, so uh-huh. I stopped everything. I, I had a, a soccer school going at the time, and pretty much I stopped everything overnight. And for the last three years, I've just been looking after my wife and also looking after my mother, who suffers from severe dementia uh-huh. and also um, cancer as well. So she has got long to go, I guess. She's in the last legs, they said, so pretty much see her every day. So, Davo, um, yeah, welcome, mate. It's great to see you in the studio tonight. And, uh, and your, your life has been football, really. And, uh, and, and you, we all know Jason will have a chat to you about your relationship with your son, who's uh, not only a, a, a young footballer, but he's achieved so much with the Socceroos, uh, getting to a World Cup in 2014, and also being an Asian Cup winner in 2015. Uh, you've lived so much of your life in football, and these people like Effie, your wife, and, and your mum have been so supportive over that time. And is, is, it, is it a, a... You always give back to your family every day of your life, but is there a sense that football's almost a little bit of a second secondary to all that at the moment? Um, you know, obviously, you know, I, the love of the family, but obviously the love of football's very close. You know, the passion, you know, it's a passion, so... But, you know, um, it's prioritising, and right at the moment, I'm prioritising on the family and my wife and my, my mother, you know. So 
I think everyone would do that as, as oh, well. Absolutely. Because we're all, we've all got parents yeah. and we've all been, you know, been there. Well, we, mate, we really hope it all works out for you no, and no, your family. And, and by the way, you know, for a guy who's clearly going through a hell of a lot, you're in fantastic shape. <laughs> you know, if we... We, uh, you know, we think we're... Yeah, we're, we're, we're smelted you know, and we're but, athletic. Uh, but, you know, we look like the Hair Bear Bunch yeah. uh, sitting here with you, mate. But, um, hey, before we get right into this, there were a couple of games. A couple of games. There's a game happening right now. It's nil all in the Sydney Derby, Sydney uh, and Western Sydney Wanderers. It's in the 72nd minute. And earlier today, Wellington Phoenix defeated Central Coast Mariners 1-0. Now, Davo, obviously the, the Sydney Derby's on at the moment. And uh, I've got to say, Fox, I sort of watched the start of it before I came into the studio tonight from home. And Fox has done a, a wonderful job. Uh, whenever I say this, you know, we always get messages from our listeners saying, Carlos, are you on the payroll at Fox? <laughs> well, I'm not. I'd like to be, but I'm not on the payroll. But they've done a wonderful job getting a sense of how big this is in Sydney right now. It's a, it, they had, it was sold out yesterday, and uh, the people coming in, and they, they talk to the players. And I'm not sure whether it's just the hot weather up in Sydney at the moment, but there was some real nerves and anxiety, and they looked like they were very nervous, the players, before the game, and Graham Arnold. It just seems like... It has become a huge, huge um, event up there. Uh, the Melbourne derbies are always big here in Melbourne too. Davo, I mean, how do they equate? I, I know we can't talk about size because they're getting 40,000 plus to the derbies these days. But you were part of South Melbourne derbies uh, when, that, when you were there against uh, Fitzroy Alexander or Heidelberg and then Melbourne Knights versus South Melbourne. You know, tell us a little bit about what it's like to be a player in those big, big derbies. Ah, they're, um, I guess on the day, it's it's like any derby. It's, you know, there's a lot at stake and there's a lot of pride and ego on the table as well from a player's point of view. And, you know, from our, back in the old days, it was all about winning and I'm sure it's the same now too, you know what I mean? Uh, the only difference is now, I think that the package is a lot better in terms of, you talked about football and Fox, you know, back in our day, you know, we still had our, our coverage, but it wasn't to the standards they are today. And, the, and and obviously the money and the crowds involved today too. So I think football's evolved in the right direction and, and, and it's very healthy and uh, hopefully we continue growing in the right direction. Alan, does the modern footballer have to learn to sort of divorce some of that passion so that they can sort of manage how they play the game the best way possible do you know what I mean like if we if you get too emotional about just winning for winning's sake I might put in too many hard tackles do you get do they get coached these days to say you know keep your your feet on the ground uh I like to think that the players the current players these days are no different to you know back in our day you know I think the only maybe the only difference is that uh, obviously wages is one thing mm. um but you know um probably a I like, I don't know, I'd, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, you know, I'm on the match review, but I'm, always, I'm just saying. <laughs> we're going to get into that too, we're, Alan. We're, <laughs> it was probably nastier back in, in the old days and, and nastier and harder and, and a little bit smarter as well. Lucky we didn't have a match review. You, know, <laughs> yeah. you might have played a few less games. No. <laughs> Thank God there was only one camera yeah, at the game. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Some of your teammates would have played less games for sure. But, um, hey, if you want to have a uh, chat to the, to the Diegos and ha ask a question of Alan, please call us on 9429-1116. That's 9429-1116. And, of course, Alan will be with us for the rest of the night, I the know. disco night till midnight. So uh, give us a call if you've got any questions at all. Plenty of South Melbourne supporters, Socceroo supporters out there, I'm sure, I've got uh, some questions of Alan. Um, now, Davo, just on the point about the, how um, 
uh, well, let's use the word dirty because that's what you used. It. The, the players were probably a little bit dirtier or got away with more in those days. I remember because the crowds weren't so big, um, I used to sort of, you almost used to, you know, have a have a better idea of what was going on on the field, what was being said by players and the actual, uh, you know, what was happening. There wasn't a lot of hiding of the dirty play. And uh, I still remember a young Danny Tiardo. Now, did you, did you actually play with Danny when he was coming through? No, I played against Danny. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But but a young Danny Tiardo, I still remember, uh, you know, his aggression, yes. in, especially in derbies. I mean, he used to build himself up for all sorts of games. But it, especially in derbies, it was very, very big. Was there one player that, you know, you played with or against in your time that you knew that with a bit, in a big game, he's a guy that you probably wouldn't want to mess with. One? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can name them all. I was just going to say there's plenty of them. Yeah. yeah. Well, name, name some of them. Because I know Frank Arrock with the old Mad Dogs, he said Kenny Murphy was the dirtiest soccer who'd ever played a game. <laughs> and I, I know, I'm pretty sure Kenny's out there somewhere listening to this right now. Uh, by the way, that was a, that was a compliment by yeah, Frank Arrock, especially yeah. with the Mad Dogs. I, well, Ken, I think Kenny was smart. You know what mm. I mean? I think we, we talk about, um, you know, being hard and, and, and this dirtiness. I think the smarts of it as well, do you know what I mean, come into play as well where you knew how to break someone's leg and not get a foul. Yeah. <laughs> do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Did, did any of the overseas players... Ah, <laughs> uh, the good old because, days, Carlos. Because yeah. <laughs> there, were, there, were, there were a lot of... I mean, in those days, it was rare than the Australian-born kid was playing in senior state league football or... You know, especially in the state leagues, uh, and you would have probably been one of the few that at Altona City that was an Australian kid that came through. A lot of them were imports hmm. that came over. Did did you actually learn any of that dirty stuff from those guys? Um, it, it was just the nature of the game at the time. You know what I mean? It was it was pretty tough. Um, the old um, state league was pretty tough. And you know you got to remember the, the rules have changed too. You weren't allowed to ta- you know these days you're not allowed to tackle from behind. You yeah, know? They, guys <laughs> were flying through the air coming through before you know two meters behind you. It wasn't that a philosophy too that in the first couple of minutes you always cleaned up the striker and you went right through him because you knew you had a second chance. The referee would never give you a yellow card straight away. That's, that's right. So you know in terms of you know bad tackles. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> you know that was that was normal. So you yeah. you had to be really smart. You had to make sure you really had to be on your toes to make sure that you got rid of ball. You you know you know certain players were hard. And back in the old days, I you know yeah I I, I got my fair share of yellow cards. Mm. And um and I realised too that you know you line someone up, they remember and they wait. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and you pay the price later on too. So you know, you're given, you got to take, and that's something that was part of the game as well. So Alan, back then, there was no need for simulation. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> what would happen if you did simulate in those days? I'd probably stand on your head <laughs> <laughs> while you're down. Yeah. yeah. Well, but how, how, then I suppose it's not simulation because <laughs> it that's right. hurt. Yeah. I mean, we're looking at guys like Bruno Fornaroli now and just marvel at the at how he scores goals. I mean, J- uh, James Troisi right now is uh, in career best form, Barisha, uh, these sort of guys, uh, you know, of course, Timmy Cale. I mean, was there anyone playing in the state leagues? Let, let's, before the National League, but the state leagues. Um, and I still remember you being the, the, the kid that you were coming through at a young age with Altona City. Was there anyone at that level um, where there might have been, you know, maybe a 500 people at the game and you believe they had that, 
the skill and the ability of those sort of guys who are stars in the A-League today. Oh, gee, you're going back in time now. Um, you know, Oscar Crino is one pl- player that comes to mind straight away, playing yeah. with Oscar, you know. So Oscar had a, was a very um, skillful player and had a lot of ability and class and um, that South American flair, if you want to call it. Um, but, you know, there was, you know, Kenny Bowden was another one who was a light frame guy who was very smart. You know, I remember I got a penalty playing against him. He he got a penalty. I put my hand on him. He went down like a... <laughs> talk about simulation, <laughs> dog. <laughs> yeah, we, we became mates after, and I watched him, and he was a very smart player. How, you know, it wasn't just about football. It was about the smarts of the player as well. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And Fauna Rolly comes into that category. You know, Brescia, you know, all these guys, they've got the smarts and that, that experience, and they bring that smart, intelligent type of football here as well and and hopefully you know it's passed on and people see those those you know do you think that's what uh, Timmy Cahill does for the Socceroos he brings that sort of street smarts um, Timmy Cahill brings more professionalism and he's a, he plays a senior uh, mentor role with the Socceroos. You know, I was impressed with Timmy um, when we went to the World Cup and, you know, there was that period before that as well that um, Timmy was uh, encouraging the players that to understand how tough this road is and to understand not to take it for granted and kept them all in, in, in good check. And um, and he was like a mentor. Him, Bresciano, was another great mentor. You know, so it's sad that, um, you know, that you know we've lost Bresh as well in, in that regard for the youngsters because I'm talking now probably as a father point of view, you mm-hmm. know. It was great to see those guys uh, mentoring the young boys. Interesting stuff. Hey, we're going to have to take a break um, and come back with a whole lot more um, before before the news and then straight after the news. Uh, it's uh, still nil all as the Western Sydney Wanderers do the Poznan with uh, Western Sydney Sydney taking a corner and peppering the goal. I don't understand why they've got their backs turned. But anyway, it's um, nil all at the moment uh, in the 81st minute. Let's take a break and come back with more of the Diego's on 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of football. On 1116 SEN, the four Diego's. Welcome to the official disco night with the Four Diego's and the honorary Diego. <laughs> you know, he's been inducted into the, the Diego. The John Travolta of Australian football. Yeah, <laughs> that's very nice, Carlos. Alan, Alan Davidson. Davidson is in the studio tonight, out and out Socceroos legend. Hey, Carlos, on um, our Twitter account, there's a question. Absolutely, and uh, we keep on talking about South Melbourne, don't we? You keep on talking about Melbourne Knights because they were great derbies and stuff, but there have been other derbies as Chris... Uh, on Twitter has uh, reminded us, ask Alan about South versus Preston derbies at Olympic Park. Preston FC crowds never get a mention or Macedonia versus uh, Croatia. Tell us all your memories about that and some of the great players who donned the shirt for uh, Preston. Well, Jarko Jarkov comes to mind straight yep. away. Probably, yep. for me, one of the best players that came here with Jarko Adjic is another one that yep. comes to mind. Um, one before, one a little one before that, uh, and I don't know what he looks like these days. But Dougie Brown, remember Dougie, Dougie Brown, little yeah. Dougie Brown, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, he, he was just a guy, just huge bloke who didn't seem like he did much preseason training. Uh, yeah. Probably didn't train that much, but he was a great footballer, wasn't he? Yeah, Dougie Brown was a, a great goal scorer. He had a great mm. shot with him. You know, George McMillan's another one yep. that comes to mind as well. You know, so Preston were a big club. They had a huge support, support, and they made their presence felt. And and they deservedly had those uh, derbies as well with South Melbourne and and Melbourne Knights as well. And, and um, yeah, they were great. I guess. Um, 
you know, they fall in the same category as the South Melbourne Heidelberg derbies or the South Melbourne Preston Macedonia derbies. You know, they were big clubs and there was a lot at stake. There's a, there was a lot of passion in the crowd and everyone, you know, go, went to work the next day and gave each other hell <laughs> if, if they lost or won. So, yeah. Fantastic stuff. Vinny? Now, I was going to ask you just in terms of uh, sort of the crowds at derbies and, and you were sort of mentioning during the break how what we've got now... We've got people who used to be on opposite sides sitting together and, and it's a more peaceful affair in some ways. So yeah. just on the back of that, so you can combine your answer. Given that South Melbourne are putting in a, a bid to sort of come into the A-League, do you think things have changed substantially to, to warrant uh, them getting a, a decent look in in terms of the way their fans would operate at a game, given that you know the NSL had a history of, of is- some issues on the ethnic front? Yeah, no. Well, the, the you know we talked about you know evolving in the game and how it's evolving and moving forward. And the biggest um, you know we talk about Preston, we talk about Melbourne Knights, we talk about um, you know South Melbourne and the Heidelberg. Like it, we talk about, and that they were all ethnic backed. And you know the support was fantastic and phenomenal. But at the same time, you know there was issues. And there was issues in those derbies as well that I remember. But it's good to see now that you go to Melbourne Victory or Melbourne, Melbourne City, uh, Melbourne City, and then you see them play. And you know you're sitting in there, you're sitting in the stadium, and you've got Croatians, Serbians, Macedonians, Greeks all wearing blue shirts. Yeah. And you know they're in the crowd, and they're all supporting the one club, and football's going in the right direction. Yep, yep. And in, in those old days of the negativity that happened off the field, gone. Do you think the FFA Cup, I mean, what do you think the FFA Cup's done to break down? Because you talk about some of the negatives that happened in, that, in, in those NSL days and probably in the state leagues before that. But, I mean, people remember the odd occasion where things happened because it didn't happen every week, no. as you know. And, in fact, you know, most weeks... You know, 99% of the weeks, it's fantastic. Unfortunately, every now and again, he used to spill over and we'd get, yeah. you know, media stories about it. But uh, do you think the FFA Cup has come a long way in helping the game embrace all that and not necessarily remember I think, the bad moments, but actually embrace the good stuff? I think what's happened is with this FA, well, the FA, FFA Cup is, is a great great um, plus for the game as well because it, it really does encapsulate everyone now and if you, you're a club and you've got aspirations you've got a platform and you can speak on that platform and, and go go further and if you can get to the final good luck to you and we've seen that with, mm. with teams around Australia how far they've gone from the mm. lower 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 than the A-League so that's the platform but the thing is um, you know with regards to the I'm just trying to say with regards to what we've got now it's obviously a, a, a big plus getting back to your question with South Melbourne and moving forward in that direction the way the game's going without the ethnic base I think it's going to be a really tough sell um, that's my gut feeling do you know what I mean but yep. you know it doesn't mean that they can't get yes. the sell also Look, it's a big it's a big difference between running a team in the NPL uh, where you might have one or two full-time people, just in a practical situation, you walk in the Melbourne City's uh, administration office and there's 30 full-time people working in there and plus all the staff. They've probably got 50, 60 full-time people on their staff 
at Melbourne Victory, plus all the other support, plus the facility. Melbourne Victory is the same. They, they'll have 50, 60 full-time people working in their organisation. Even more, I'm, I'm probably underestimating it. Mm. And uh, and for a club, even as as well-run as South Melbourne right now, to suddenly jump from where they are now, paying two or three people full-time wages, to that, uh, and running a full-on organisation, I don't think that can happen in a short period of time. Yeah, I think... I think- to answer what your question earlier on as well is there's a lot of tra- tradition that we're talking about here now and I think a lot of people don't want to lose that tradition and they don't want to lose that base and the platform where really football started you know back in the in the 60s and you know with the ethnics and they bought the game mm. up and and that ethnic base you know we talk about Juventus for instance mm-hmm. you know what I mean they were a massive club massive and you know, where are they now and where's that history now? So if that's the base that we're talking about, yes, I encourage and engage in the history of, of the game. But moving forward, we, we have to, I think, you know, it's a tough call balancing, you know, the professionalism, mm. costs involved, yep. and it's a big jump. It's a huge jump. And I think they don't realise the what's probably how much, how much of a jump there is. Yeah. Well, you, you you'd, you'd certainly hope. That they do because well, I mean, you know because um, I think I think the A League has shown the way forward and I must admit when when we were talking about South Melbourne putting in a bid and they mm. are um, it kind of excited us you know and a lot of our listeners too because we remember I mean, the good stuff yeah we do like we those, the good those, stuff. you know those those games at South Melbourne um, you know at Middle Park especially the night games and I remember some of the Saturday night games some of the you know some of the night games that they played there which were generally Saturday nights but they play on on the Sunday afternoon and so forth uh, they were just wonderful nights, especially the balmy nights during the summer when the Ole Nacelle was uh, that was a summer competition too so you get the balmy nights and some really great football the Sydney uh, Sydney Olympic South Melbourne games at Middle Park. I just used to love those. So it were traditional night games on, on a Saturday night that I loved. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. You know, but you know, it's it's all about longevity. And how many A League clubs are financially stable at the moment? Mm. Well, that's mm. the other thing, true, as well. So you know, it's there's definitely lessons there to be learned. But look, I can't wait uh, for for early this year when the um, you know when the uh, blueprint is put out for all of these yep. uh, bidders to to you know put up a bid for to be in the A League. Hey, um, there's some fantastic stuff happening uh, in Sydney at the moment. It's still nil all. Uh, it's we're in injury time. It's in the 93rd minute. Uh, the, this game will finish in 93 minutes. Both teams are peppering the goals, and uh, and Sydney FC now. Um, have just as uh, for Western Sydney Wanderers has got the ball and uh, Western Sydney Wanderers go forward. So I think this will be a nil-all draw in the end, but uh, we'll wait and see. Don't call it too early. Oh, no, it's come Fergie on. time, right? It's Fergie time. Squeaky bum time. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Let's see. But uh, we'll, we'll, um, we're going to have to take a break now. And in the big bash, the Scorchers are 5 for 62 after 10 overs um, and the, playing the Stars, of course. Let's take a break and come back with more of the Diogos on 11-16 SEN, Melbourne's home of football. On 1116 SEM, the Four Diego's.
Welcome to the Diego's here on 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport. Rodrigo Rodriguez with you on this uh, Saturday night. It is the disco version of the Diego's. Carlos, we can hear you laugh. You're back for this. For, for the next two hours, the Diego's are in the house. And, Absolutely. Uh, you're here. Vinny Venezuela's yes, here. Yes, I've got my mirror ball. Yeah, I'm no, excited. No Warren Diego tonight. Um, but uh, we have got a, an absolute uh, Socceroos legend in the studio. You heard him in the first half hour. Welcome, Alan Davidson, again. Thank you. Good to see you and uh, looking very resplendent, as always. Hey, just a couple of quick scores. Um, Wellington Phoenix defeated uh, Central Coast Mariners 1-0. McGlinchey scoring for the Phoenix. And the Western Sydney Wanderers and Sydney FC uh, derby over there in Sydney uh, ended up in a nil-all draw. So I was correct before the I was just watching some highlights because obviously we're professional and we've got TVs in this studio, but I'm trained on you as a host. I've seen you. I'm watching you. And, of course, (laughs) I've got utmost respect for our guest, uh, Davos, I can't watch the screens, but I just watched a little bit of the highlights. The goalkeepers had blinders. I'll tell you what. Vukovic uh, and uh, Janjetovic, my God. Janjetovic was outstanding yeah. tonight. A crowd of 40,143 40, people at uh, yeah. the Sydney Football Stadium, which is uh, pretty handy. When you're doing radio, it's like doing the Poznan. You can't, you can't <laughs> yeah, look at the screens. Right. It's, it's very difficult. That's it's right. true. It's, it's true. Uh, it was fantastic. So is that officially now, guys? I'll throw it open to you, our guest and, and, and the brothers. Is that officially the biggest derby in Australia right now? Yeah, I'm going to say yes. Well, yeah. I haven't been, but um, no, you can. Well, you can see. It's, yeah, you can see. But but I've been to a Melbourne. Derby. They sell out forty thousand every time now. Yeah, they do. And they we do. don't. We don't get. We don't sell out. Well, apparently, nearly two thousand people that didn't live in New South Wales yeah. went to this game for yeah. the theatre, Carlos. Mm. For the theatre, <laughs> theatre goers. That's right. So, yeah. uh, so it's pretty amazing, actually. The thing so, is, once once they get to the point where it's a sellout, you can actually put a bit of premium on those tickets. People will still pay. So it's actually a financial windfall. For the clubs, uh, oh, and it's I, amazing. And you know, I, that's that's what we saw tonight in Sydney. That's what free to wear TV want to see yep, with the expansion teams. I like. I know uh, Alan's uh, got uh, some. You know, you've done some work out over this towards the surf coast. Uh, you know, Torquay and uh, you know, um, you know that that area around Geelong. There's talk about the possibility of a Geelong team maybe putting in a bid for the A-League. What do you think, Gallen? Do you think it's a, a, it's got the culture of football in that area enough to be able to sustain a, an A-League team? Oh, there's a lot, there's a lot that goes into these um, bids and there's a lot of, you know, criteria that meet, need to be met, you know what I mean? And um, obviously location is, is a big is a you know a location in in a, in a football hub there you know so Geelong you know they've they've had a few bids before you know so they haven't been successful hopefully um, they will get one that will be successful but to to answer you know there's a, there's so many there's so many um, and TV rights as well is another one that you know plays a big part in this sort of stuff with derbies yeah oh, it's everything yeah. <laughs> really when you when you think about it. Um, Hey, just uh, if you want to speak to Alan tonight, give us a call on 9429 1116. Um, our, our, um SMS machines are having a few issues tonight, but uh, if you want to uh, ask a question of Alan through Twitter, uh, please do so on at 4Diego's, uh, and we'll uh, read them out for you. Now, Alan, just because uh, it is our disco night, back in the day, post a big win... <laughs> Were the discos? I mean, it's, I know you played <laughs> She's a okay. while ago, but did you go to discos or did you go to the, the, the local? How did it work when you were sort of celebrating a win? 
God, I can't even remember the names of the places now. Well, you would have uh, been Altona, yeah, boy. Remember. Yeah, you would have gone to the Miller's Inn in Altona. <laughs> no, it's called Road. the Central, wasn't it? Yeah, Bunny, 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 or the Bunny's in Footscray. Used, yeah, Bunny, head, Bunny's in Footscray. Yeah, we used to head over to... <laughs> El Fortino's. <laughs> other side of uh, the lake. Just, what, did, what was Carousel. it? Carousel. No, no, the <laughs> what was Tarmac. Yeah, the pub, the tarmac. No, no, it wasn't no, no. the tarmac. It was, uh, it was a night. It was a, uh, was a disco. Chasers. Chasers. That's yeah. It. Oh, so like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that that was still chasers until recently. Is it still I'm, chasers? I'm not sure, Carlos. Yes. But, uh, but it has been. I I, yeah. I know of people that um, maybe I asked them ten years ago. Yeah, when where, I was when I'm go? doing <laughs> my rounds of the disco now, they actually yeah. kicked me out as yeah. an old bloke you, who is probably a bit dodgy in those places. But uh, I thought. There was still a chasers. <laughs> I think there might be, in, Carlos. So, look, on, on, on the um, on Twitter, if you yes, can uh, confirm it, yeah. at Four Diego's, yeah. please let us know if chasers <laughs> is still alive. These days, Carlos, you'd be known as a toolie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you're that guy that, that, that shouldn't be at school this week. Yeah. But what about when you were playing in England? Where did where did you guys go? Were oh. there nightclubs at yeah, the, regular haunts? In Hippodrome was one in London. Oh, yeah. Yep. So that was a big one, and you know, obviously there was. I can't remember the names in 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 Nottingham as well but um, yeah the other thing was we had to be careful where we went as well yeah. so there was you know oh yeah and when you went <laughs> when you when you went did the did they just get out of your way and let you enter like you know uh, here, here come the yeah. the boys from, from yeah the we had VIP sort of um, status I guess if yeah. you call it that. and you know obviously when a player does something wrong in public these days it's usually caught on an iPhone and there's a scandal it's front page and they have to have a press conference and apologise to everyone. And they're usually, you know, bringing the game in disrepute and they have maybe a, a, a ban of some sort. And that it becomes so public. Do you think that the behaviour back then that wasn't, wasn't captured on the phone Can you was any Twitter? different to the behaviour now? I, Dave, I you, think, now you thank were, God there wasn't any Twitter. Yeah, but you travelled with a lot of soccer teams with a lot of characters too, especially the mad dogs in their private time. Um, they, oh, they would have been lucky. And by the way, I was in the room once when you and Scotty Ollenshaw were talking about some stuff that was happening on your on your football trips at times. I was approached by a, a, a newspaper network um, to write a story about all the things that happened behind <laughs> the scenes that no one knows of. So, yeah. and we said, uh, and I said to them, then they wanted to pay quite a bit of money and. And I said that that stuff stays behind the closed yeah, yeah. doors. But they was have it a witness it protection program. Yeah, I was going to say he'd have to go witness protection, wouldn't yeah. he? Yeah, but was it the, the point? The question I'm asking is: Do you think the behaviour back then was any different to what it is now? I think the professionalism now is is part of the key, and also that you can't get away with anything now. That's mm. you know you, you talk about social media. That's one thing, and you can talk about you know the match review panel. That's another thing. There's a lot of things that you can't get away with these days. Back in the day, you know a lot of things got you know yep. got unnoticed or were you know covered up. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the match review panel <laughs> uh, there, Alan, because last night we witnessed a fantastic game of football between Melbourne Victory and mm -hmm. Brisbane Raw. Victory won it in the end 3-2. Um, but Bessart Barisha was uh, sent off um, in the second half, about half an hour to go. And um, just looking at the replays, um, I think you've got a bit of work to do when you go <laughs> when you clock in on the match review panel Skype, or I don't know how you do it, but... Um, but uh, Firstly, let, let's let's get into you know what's your role in the match review um, panel committee. Um, well, I've been doing it for nearly I guess ten years now with with the with the the A League, but um, 
with regards to I, 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 there were originally there was three three um, candidates and they were two two um, a, a FIFA referees and also one player and, and my view was from a player's point of view of an incident so we now have gone there's another two that joined us this year another player and another official referee a FIFA referee so we um, rotate on games every weekend and we. We watch the games and we, we pretty much uh, cite anything that's not been seen by a referee. So getting back to the, you know, the Barisha case last night, you know, and the, it's been a real education for me as a footballer because now I'm dealing on the on the the legal side and and how how all the how all this all the the laws of the game work and um, you know there's a process you know. First, with regards to Brisha, there's got to be, uh, you know, Melbourne Victory would lodge a, you know, a application for, you know, obviously, a, a obvious error application. And once that obvious error application is put in, then the case will be heard. And um, from the match review panel's point of view, what we do is we watch the games and if there is a red card, we, we, we note the time and we send the at the end of the game if there's any incidents or if there's any issues or what we've seen or whatever, we'll put the time of the incident. We send the text off to goes out to about 13 different people with FFA and then they would uh, send messages off to Fox. They cut the footage and then the next day we read the referee's report. We, we have the footage at our hand. We can log on and watch the footage. And we have the benefit that the referees don't have in terms of we have the footage from seven different angles in slow motion. We can have it all blown up if we want. And, you know, referees making, you know, decisions in half a second, we can sit there and say, yes, this is what's happened or no, this is what's happened. Can you give us an exclusive? Will Barisha get off? <laughs> well, well, you know, what it is, it goes through the ob obvious error application, then it goes to the... <laughs> The review panel and the review panel will review the footage and one of the things that um, you know we've seen with the footage in terms of last night was we, we only seen the footage from behind mm. um, once we get the seven angles it'll be a lot more clearer and we'll blow it up and then from that point on then if there's an obvious error that you know uh, you know if it's an obvious area and I think the, the most important thing is to know too though is if it's deemed not a yellow card offence, because if it's a yellow mm. card offence, you still go down. Yep. So it's got to be an absolute obvious error. And from that point of view, then, you know, it can get rescinded. So obviously there's a lot of people who've got to consider this. I mean, you've got your panel, but a lot of people, um, oh. uh, you know, it's got to go through a lot of people before a decision's made from yes. an MRP point of view. Um, do you ever get a situation where not everyone agrees <laughs> And 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 if if not everyone agrees, should it go any further? I mean, should shouldn't it be unanimous? Whatever you guys, I think come you up know, with? if you if you have that um, with the match review panel, there's certain incidents that it's unanimous straight away, mm. and there's certain incidents, you know, um, where all three of us, like two referees and myself, mm. Michael, uh, uh, um, Alan Contini, and Simon Metcliffe, and myself. Um, we've over the years, you know, we've debated for three quarters of an hour, an hour, <laughs> and we've put our points through, and then it comes back to we've got to make a decision and two v one. So if two agree on one issue, yep. 
the one who doesn't agree on it, that's it. It's made. Mm-hmm. Do you ever think about going to a shootout? <laughs> <laughs> that could work too. That could yeah. be fun. I think you'll win. I yeah. think you'd win. The but, other question, sorry, yeah. Carlos, if there's an obvious error, theoretically, with, with the Borussia one, can you make the match official go and apologise to, to Bess and say, listen, <laughs> sorry, buddy? No, I think that he'd, be, he'd be obviously happy and, and we all move on. But like you said, you know, we don't just, we, we all link up at four o'clock in the afternoon, Monday afternoon, and uh, we've all looked at the video videos and we've all looked at re- reports and blah 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 but we sit with FFA the legal teams and yeah. we all go through all the laws and whatever and and they listen to us and they intervene if you know when I say intervene they show us what you know because we have all the past uh, history of all the incidents for whatever um, law is being broken you yep. know so yep. and we can look through it and we've got everything there so it's a discussion that the review panel make solely and then we pass it all over to FFA and then the legal team handle it from there. Do you think that people are, you know, from clubs, I mean, often you get clubs criticising the MRP and you get fans criticising them and people in the media criticising, how the hell could you come up with this and that? Do you find it frustrating that people don't really understand the process? I think it's a real education. You know, it's been an education for me, but I think it's also an education on how the review panel is restricted in some ways as well. We've Over the years, we've changed some laws, you know. We, we thought that, you know, there was a lot of times there was, an, we used to call it the, there was an orange orange card. We did, you know, it was on the border of a red okay. and a yellow. And, you know, that was, and you know, there was, with, with um, violent conduct too, there was issues because that was automatically two weeks suspension so mm. they bought uh, unsporting conduct in so we bought another rule in as the, as it's evolving to help us with certain things because back in the day that you're talking about we were very restricted and our hands were tied it was one or the other it had to be black mm. or white we were saying no it's a grey area mm-hmm. but that's that's been evolving and we've been changing and the rules have come in and to accommodate those sort of issues. That's going to be very interesting because there's a, lot of, there's a few people that will be listening to this show tonight that hope that camera angle from the front um <laughs> Is almost similar to the camera angle from the back because you you can't say anything, of course. But uh, just looking at it, uh, it looked extremely soft. But um, you don't need to comment on that. Uh, well, you you can if you want to. Yeah, <laughs> for like Melbourne. I asked fans. him earlier straight up, yeah. and he didn't answer the question, so, so I, I didn't like my chances. I'm Carl. assuming, Alan, when if if you're on for that particular game. You can't go watch it live. You've got to watch it in front of a yeah, TV monitor. We watch it home on Fox, you know. Yep. So we get we get all the Fox uh, footage, and we we watch, we obviously watch Fox. And the the benefit of that is you get all the slow motions, all the incidents, and and you can see. And it's a lot more clearer when you're watching a game on TV than than watching it from. Mm. 40,000 people. Well, that's very interesting stuff. Um, 94291116, give us a call if you want to ask uh, Alan a, a question or in, even one of the Diego's. We'll can, we can put it to Alan on your behalf. But, um, hey, Marcus has called us from South Melbourne. G'day, Marcus, and welcome to the four Diego's. G'day, Diego's. How are you? Yeah, very, very well, well Marcus. Yeah, How are you doing tonight? Here. Hello, Alan. You're a hero of my childhood, but there you go. That's, that's a nice. sad thing Thank for you. a 60-year-old man to say, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> No, no, no. That's uh, I'm glad that uh, the memories are still there. <laughs> the memories or the memory? Oh, the memory. The memory. And I tell you what, mobile phones would not have worked in Chasers or the Chevron. Would no, they? that's correct. That's Leave them at Alan, the door. Alan, I remember when I was a teenager, you, Adrian Alston, uh, Ned Selich went over to Europe, but there wasn't the coverage of football then, who were some of the great players you remember now uh, who 
deserve to be remembered, but uh, really aren't because there wasn't so much football coverage in those days. Did that make any sense? Um, Yeah, well, I guess the pioneers, you know, the ones who went over, you know, for me, one that comes to mind is Craig Johnson, who was a real pioneer of of the day for me because we were the similar age. But, um, you know, there there was a lot of players... Um, Eddie well, Krenchevich Eddie, Eddie, Eddie Krenchevich was a great um, ambassador for Australia and did ex- extremely well in Europe you know he was another one that's gone over there David Mitchell was another one yeah. I think that went mm. over there I caught up with him in, a couple of times in, 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 in London I think, I think it might have been the Hippodrome, <laughs> oh, the Hippodrome. <laughs> fantastic yeah. so yeah no, I'm just trying to think of some players you know you know uh, Back in my era, especially that era of my age, there wasn't too many over there. But after that, you know, the Tiados and Muskets and, you know, I'm just talking the Dukas and all yeah, those. Yeah. You know, that's the next generation and, and the golden generation that, you know, obviously got a lot of exposure. Maybe Frank Farina? Frank Farina's another yep. one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for your call there, Marcus. Really appreciate that. Um, yeah, I, I get fascinated because we all know Kim Reserve in Altona. You know, we've all played there. We're all, you know, especially around Cherry Lake. They probably run that lake a few times. And to think that uh, a young guy without, I mean, I look at all the resources that are available to young kids now. If you want to be a footballer, just get on the net and you'll probably get a training program from Jose Mourinho online if you want to. Uh, coaches that get all the resources in the world these days. If you really wanted to be a student of the game, it's all there for you. But when Davo was coming through, there was nothing. I mean, you if you had a good coach, uh, you might have a chance. A, a bloke who knew what he was doing. But if you didn't, there was no resource to become a great footballer. Now, you were identified at a young age, uh, Alan, as, a, as a, an elite footballer uh, who was a bit of a prodigy because you're, you know, irrespective of who your coach was, you were selected for young, Astra- young Socceroo teams and, you know, uh, you know uh, underage teams. You were uh, elevated to the Socceroo senior team at quite a young age. How does, he, how does a young kid who grew up at Kim Reserve end up being selected by and identified from all the players in the world that the guy knows, Brian Clough, to go and play for Nottingham Forest. How does that happen? Um, Great question. I guess your first thing is, you, for me, the, you know, well, I think a lot of exposure comes from the national team. There's no question from that. You know, and so did mine back in the day and Jason's, you know, and all that. So, you know, playing for the Australian team's the the flagship. And it's the flagship of football today as well, because if the Socceroos do well, it, 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 obviously there's a chain reaction that goes right down the tree. But um, but you had to be good enough for him, because there was a lot of other Socceroos he could have identified, a lot of other players in national teams and players. He could have Brian Clough could have recruited anyone within his budget around the world, but he identified you. So what was it about you as a footballer and how you developed that made you world class? Because that's what it is. Ryan Clough didn't oh, no, didn't recruit. Class, well, you but... were. You were. Well, I mean, you played in the to- in Nottingham side, and Brian Clough didn't sign bad footballers. Rarely at that time. Let us let us glow about you, but uh, you know you, you don't. How'd you get the jobs? Yeah, I'm to... asking myself. Well, I don't know. I'm just trying to. Work <laughs> no, out. I suppose it's how, how did you develop those skills I, I, that were comparable to to can people? I, they overseas. got the wrong guy, Carlos. <laughs> <laughs> they got the, it was the other Alan. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I, you know the one the one thing that um, I, 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 maybe I'll put it in another way. I'll put it in another way. You know what I mean? Uh, I'll put it down is. I, I had a son who wanted to be a footballer, 
But the one thing I didn't know about him is how much did he want it. So for me, I you know he left home at fourteen. I took him to Japan to play in a tournament over there, just to take him outside of the of the game to expose him to something else. He got there. He realised he thought he was good, but he of course he got, you're talking about Jason. Yeah, I'm talking about Jason yeah, yeah. now. So I'm trying to answer your question yeah. through. You're just deflecting, my, deflecting off you. But anyway, it's okay. I think you know. So I wanted to know how uh, the one thing that any parent and anyone anywhere in the world we don't know how much our kids want it. We want to help them and do as much as we can for them, but how much do they want it? And you won't know until they go through the hardships of loneliness, the hardships of not being accepted, beaten up, all these things on your own, dealing with you know all the all the things that really question do i want to be here do i want to be part of this can i survive on my own i'm going through a player now who's got a son in in one of the one of the a league clubs and one of the big things that i see that's a downside to it is his son's spoiled he's got everything mm. he's a very wealthy family he's a good player he's a great player i think he can go all the way but he's spoiled, and I don't know how much he mm. wants it. As soon as he hits his first hurdle, he might say, bugger this, I don't need this, I'm going home. Mm. So you what know? was your test? As a, if, you, if you turn that around back to you, how did you find out how much you wanted it? I probably experienced hardship um, having Japanese blood growing up in the time I did. And, you know, when I grew up, you know, I got brainwashed that, you know, being Japanese was the greatest thing because I was getting prepared to go to war again when I went to school. All these kids were Australian. Their fathers were in concentration camps or, you know, they blah, blah, blah. And we, my brother and I were in fights all the way through. So we had to fight our way out. And that's when I became very close to the Greek community because the Greek community, you know, engaged with me and they became friends with me. So... And that's when I got onto football. They were the ones who introduced me to football, you know. So um, I had hardships. So, you know, I'd been, and I'm talking about, you know, at primary school. So, you know, you go through, you know, 10 years of fighting, you've got a tough skin, you know what Mm. I mean? And um, that's pretty much where I got my hardship training, I guess. Fascinating stuff. We're going to uh, delve more into all of that uh, right after this break on the Four Diego's here on 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport. My lover's got no money, he's got his strong beliefs. My lover's got no power, he's got his strong beliefs. My lover's got no fame, he's got his strong beliefs. My lover's got no money, he's got his strong beliefs. On 1116 SEN, the Four Diego's. Yes, it is disco night on an no, no, alternative reality. The young boys in the production don't know what disco is. That is not disco, Pedro on the panel. <laughs> he came in uh, during the break and said, can we just let it go a li- little longer? Yeah, you know, yeah, we didn't yeah, know disco, what he was going to play. finding this dance music stuff. Disco, guys. Disco, find it. <laughs> Google disco. Thank you very much. It is, Start uh, with BGs and work up. Yeah, that's right. That's it right. is the Four Diego's... Uh, La Freak. Yeah. <laughs> a bit of hot chocolate. A bit of hot chocolate. Donna Summer. Yeah, Donna Summer. 
Yeah. Come on, boys. Lift your game. <laughs> They're too young, They're these too boys. Young. They're too young. Good try, though. No, we've got to pump them up a little bit. <laughs> hey, it is the Four Diego's disco version here on a Saturday night. We've got uh, Socceroos legend Alan Davidson in the studio tonight and uh, getting some fascinating insights into you know what it was like uh, for Alan in those days as a professional footballer. By the way, Alan, your job start trial is going very well. We, we, you know, it's looking good at the moment. Like You, don't, you won't have to do a three-month trial with the Diego's. Um, with the Nottingham Forest, you're saying the three sessions a day. Brian Clough, was he there for them? No. He was... You knew when he was there because the intensity just shifted and everyone... The seriousness just shifted at times. And, you you know, you'd wonder what's going on and then you'd say, you know, then everyone would just look at, you know, the corner of the eye and Brian Clough would be sitting on the, on the hill with his arms closed just watching, you know. So he was an intimidating person. So, you know... When he was around, I think everyone was intimidated. And did you have many meetings with him? <laughs> Jeez, too many. <laughs> too many. Yeah. No. The more memorable ones, my friend. Oh, the, the, I guess, the, I guess the, the, when I first went there, it was, it was tough because I, no one got messages on their lockers. I used to get a message on the locker, you've got to go see the gaffer. You know what I mean? And I thought, oh, my God, you know. Everyone used to see it. And I, anyway, they'd go in there and one, one particular day he turned around and he said, listen, you've been here a month and I haven't seen you smile. And I just looked at him and I just said, to be quite honest, boss, and he said, no. He said, son, in this club, you're either honest or you're not. No one's quite honest. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I said to him, boss, to be honest, I'm scared of you. (laughs) And he started laughing at the top of his his voice. And he turned around and he said, you know, son, he said, Mr. So-and-so, he's the chairman of this club. He pays my wages. He's scared of me. <laughs> that doesn't help. <laughs> the boss is scared yeah. of me. I feel better now. Yeah. <laughs> but what, what made him such a good manager? Ah, it's interesting that. He, I found him, he, he was so... English managers in the day, I found him so witty and sharp. He was razor sharp with his tongue, razor sharp with his mind. And I found him never to be wrong. I remember one day we were walking on the ground and, you know, confrontation with the gaffer, like anywhere that would, that was like headlines, you know what I mean? And I remember we were walking out on the ground and there was a guy, this guy was, he was a, pl- he was a plumber working on the sprinkler system, didn't have nothing to do with the club. <laughs> and he just went to him, he said, oi, off the ground. And then we went to training and this guy's still working and, and he looked at him again and he goes, oi, get off the ground. And this guy just looked at him, put his head inside the inside the the hole, and started working. And then the gaffer started walking. There, all the players <laughs> love that sort of scenario because we thought he doesn't know him. So, so anyway, he starts beeline straight to the plumber, and the plumber got out of the, this manhole and he got up, and he was about seven foot. <laughs> and as he got up, he had this wrench in his hand. He said, "Son, you finish your job there, and I'll get these bastards <laughs> off the ground." <laughs> So he was so witty, and we were looking at it, and we thought, oh, my God. But how about from a tactical perspective? It sounds like he let his assistant coaches, these you know, fitness guys, do the training. But from a technical point of view on match day, because this, this is a manager that won back-to-back European Cups with a team that wasn't certainly a glamour team. They didn't have the resources of big teams in those days. So there must have been something special about this manager. I think he had a good eye for players. And um, <laughs> it sounds terrible, doesn't it? <laughs> he, he had a good eye for players um, with the players he had, and there were a lot of players that were under the radar. People didn't rate, and you know, well, he, he'd buy players at clubs and he'd bring them in, and um, 
he 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 bought in you know like I remember Davenport and he mm. came in and he started playing for England and and he was a wholesome person but um, he, he had this this there was one boss for a start so you know everything that he wanted tactically it was very simple you know I I remember he used to say to me son he said I want the ball forward you know what I mean while the ball and he used to tell us tell us um you know at times there was meetings and he'd say listen and he'd make it quite clear i remember him saying about johnny medgott johnny medgott was a dutch international footballer great passer of the ball and he said to everyone he said listen see this dutchman here i want everyone to give him the ball he's he's making 10 times more than all of you players give him the ball he said because i want him to get the ball so he can start earning his money you know things that's how he used to talk about and he, you know and he said i want i don't care if he's 1 meter away from you or 30 meters give him the ball that's his job so what i'm saying is he bought players to do jobs he had jobs in his mind of what he wanted and um, and i remember him telling me he said you're a defender you're playing right back, get the ball forward, get it to Birdles or get it to Davenport. And he said, while the ball's down there, they can't score down there. It's that simple. Yeah. And then I played one ball, you know, over the top. And then he got off, you know, it was 35,000, you know, screaming. And you can hear Brian Clough. It was at the MCG, 100,000 people. You'd still hear Brian Clough. <laughs> yeah. And he turned around and he got up and he said to me, He's not a giraffe, you idiot. <laughs> so, yeah. But Dave, obviously it was four four two, simple four four two. Yep. And they spe- and they just expected you to know that you never worked on shape at training or anything like that. Well, you no, you were bought in. Brian Clough bought players in, and I remember him telling this distinctively to me. We were playing Manchester United. We came in, you know, at uh, half time, and we were two 0 down. And this is my second game at at the club at home. And he grabbed me by the throat and lifted me up with one arm and I was choking and turning blue and he was screaming at me, everything under the sun, telling me the worst play he'd ever signed, the worst play he'd ever seen, blah, 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 blah. And then he just dropped me and um, to cut a long story short, um, he called me into the, the physio's room and said, listen, son, you're here to do a job. Your job is to get the ball forward, win the ball, get it there, and that's your job. And if you can't do that job, I'll get someone who will. And then he said, and I thought I was going after what he just did to me, but I went out on the field and and we uh, we went on to win the win the game three two. Fantastic stuff. You happy to stay for the next hour as well? Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Uh, more of Alan Davidson and the Diego's coming up after this break. Uh, don't forget that uh, Western Sydney Wanderers and Sydney FC nil all tonight in front of 40,143. This is the Four Diego's on 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport. Awesome. 20 yards On 11.16 SEN, the Four Diego's. Thanks for joining us on the disco night of the uh, Four Diego's. A bit of Elvis Presley, that was pre-disco, but, um, but uh, very, very cool stuff from the king. Hey, Rodrigo Rodriguez with you on this Saturday night. Vinny Venezuela, you're in the house. And I so am in is, the house. So is Carlos Alberto Diego. But tonight we've got a very special guest, uh, Alan Davidson, who you all know is um, a Socceroos legend uh, and he's been giving, giving us some really interesting <laughs> stuff uh, during the show 
and even <laughs> off during, air. Off it's air. even better off yeah. air. And, uh, and we're going to try and get some of that uh, soon as well. But in the next hour also, we've got some wonderful flashback uh, coming your way. Um, got a flashback uh, with John Aloisi from uh, 2005. Yes, Carlos, it, it, that all about that time, penalty. That and uh, that will uh, hopefully lead into some great stories about the Socceroos and uh, all those years that Alan Davidson played for them and you know the lows and the highs so, uh, with the Mad Dogs and anything before that. Really looking forward to that as well and actually getting Alan's take on, on the interview as well. And uh, So if you want to ask a question of Alan, give us a call on 94291116 or send us uh, on Twitter because uh, uh, we're having a bit of trouble with SMS tonight um, at 4Diego's and uh, we'll ask the question on your behalf. Vinny Venezuela. Yeah, Rodgers, we have went through the archives and we've discovered that uh, the only person <laughs> to have experienced the the neck-choking pep talk at <laughs> halftime is Alan Davidson, and that was at the courtesy of um, Brian Clough. Now, it's halftime at Man, V Man U, and he's got you by the neck, and it's all gone. It's all going south for you, and, and you think that your career at Nottingham's over. How? What happens at the end of the game? Well, actually, I was shocked because I didn't realise that I was going back on the field. <laughs> I thought I was finished, and um, you know, he called me over. He, Took me into the dressing room, uh, into the physio's room, and said to me, "He goes, he said, son, there's a thousand kids outside the gate every day wanting to play for this club, and he said, you're in my first team, and who's the best manager in the world?" <laughs> and he just turned around and said, "I just looked at him and never said a word." And he just said, "Big Ed," and he said, "Who's the best manager in Europe?" He said, "Big Ed." Who's the best manager in England? And he said, "Big Ed." He said, "You go out there." Do the business for Big Ed and do what you can do. And then he put his arm around me and kissed me on the cheek. <laughs> <laughs> and I was thinking to myself... You were very confused by then, yeah? I, was, I thought that um, I was booking my flight home. Yeah, and now I'm going back on the second half against Man U. And um, to answer your question, we won, uh, we won the game um, 3-2 in extra time. And we came in, everyone was celebrating, and all the board, the whole board were in there, and everyone was, del- uh, you know, delighted. And and next minute, you know, the the two revolving doors bang open, and Clough walked in, and he just looked for me, and walk. He t- firstly, he just walked in and said, "Everyone who didn't play, get out of this room now." <laughs> and that was to the directors. And, uh, and, uh, <laughs> They were the only ones. So the directors, the board, everyone had to leave. And then he just looked and he pointed me out and he walked up to me. He said, son, that's what you get paid for. Okay. Oh, that's good. And that was it. And then that led to more glory because apparently you got to meet Saddam Hussein as well. <laughs> no. Oh, that was later. Mid-break, you know, what happened was we got snowed out in England. So we, we Brian, I didn't know Brian Clough, Brian Clough was a huge name. Even for me in... in an Australian going to play for him. I didn't know how big he was. Saddam Hussein wanted to meet Brian Clough. So <laughs> he turned around and said, name your price, come over, play in Iraq, play against the Iraq national team. So we played them. And on our way in Iraq, we also met, um, we went to his palace and we met Saddam Hussein. And it was all about Brian Clough. He wanted to meet him. And, uh, you know, Brian Clough's just shaking his hand and saying, let's get out of here. You know? <laughs> but um, and we then say, we, went, we stay for one drink and then we go, boys. <laughs> yeah. and then, then we went to Saudi Arabia and, you know, Obviously, it, they, the club made a lot of money, you know, meeting with Brian Clough, meeting a lot of those uh, Middle Middle East people. Yeah. And of course, you're on that uh, uh, sort of uh, mid-winter tour uh, to get out of the cold of England. Uh, in Saudi Arabia, you had a 
pretty bad head injury. Is that right? In one of the games? Yeah. Um, yeah, that was in, that, yeah, that, 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 that was probably the the first time I ever stood up to Brian Clough, you know, which is probably unheard of. Um, when I had a seizure and I collapsed and when I came back, you know, I was in hospital in Saudi and then, they, you know, I was on the plane back with the team and... He just turned around and said, your, con- your contract's terminated. Um, we've been told you've got brain damage and you can't play again. <laughs> and I just looked at him and I was processing what he was saying. And he said, son, I'm sorry. And that's when I turned around and said, I can't believe what you're doing. I've, I've left my family. I've traveled halfway across the world to play for you. And you're just dropping me like that without even giving me a chance. And he just looked at me, um, thought about it, and he said, son, you're right. So he said, I'll find the best neurosurgeon and we'll get their opinion from England. So anyway, you know, in fairness, I, you know, I went to this neurosurgeon in London, didn't, you know, I just didn't know where I was going, just went there and sitting in the, in the, in the foyer waiting to go in to see the, the, the surgeon and the, the neuro, neurologist. And I couldn't believe it. The first person, there was obviously someone in there and, and they came out and um, it was Margaret Thatcher, the Prime Minister. <laughs> her, her daughter was getting treated by the same doctor. So you could have had quite a hand in world politics, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, he's true to his word. Yep. They, they diagnosed me and everything was fine. I was out for a while. I was out for about four months. I had to sort of adjust to certain things and the medication and go through different things. So... During that period, it was interesting because while I couldn't play, Brian Clough turned around and said to me, son, he said, I expect you to sit on the bench with me at every game. So at the home games, I sat on the bench with him and <laughs> that was a nightmare as well. <laughs> so, I mean, wow, I mean, that, that's unbelievable experience. But, but as a young fella, you know, do you still think about those times? You reflect on those times with Brian Clough and do you, do you feel that you've taken some of the learnings that you, you had from him into your life after that actually um that's a good point i think going to england really um hardened me up really i guess really made me understand about sacrifice and um and hardship and going through tough times and uh and and he was good he was like i you know i couldn't believe he invited me over to his house regularly not regularly a few times no one's been to his house even ian Ian bowie was never called his house and he'd been playing with him for 10 years Mm. and i went and he asked me to have christmas with him christmas lunch you know what i mean and i didn't know what how to say no but i didn't really want to go because i was scared of him you know what i mean and he was intimidating was this after you stood up to him and said Yes, that yeah, was after okay. him, and he, you know, Christmas, and he turned around and, and he turned around and said to me, he said, um, you know, would you do the honour of coming to meet mm. my family? And I thought, oh, my God, because he asked me first, he turned around and said to me, he goes, oh, what are you doing for Christmas? Have you got anything organised? No, I said, not really. And then he said, well, that's when he came out, will you do the honour of coming? And then I said, yeah, oh, I had to say yes. <laughs> and went to his, and he goes, I've got a special guest, and um, went to his house, and it was interesting because I had a, his special, like he had a special friend that was meeting for Christmas. It wasn't the Pope, was it? <laughs> it was it was Brian Moore of the Big Match. Oh wow! You know, so you know, and he was talking to me about Australia and soccer and blah blah blah. So yeah, it went on from there. Uh, you're so blasé about just meeting these people, but uh, Dave, what people don't know, obviously uh, you're signed for Nottingham Forest, and you're only there for a relatively short time because of injury. Your unfortunately, was cut short because of a serious back injury. But before 
Uh, after Bayern Munich and before Nottingham Forest, you're actually offered a contract by Arsenal, weren't you? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, how that unfolded? Yeah, well, yeah, I got an opportunity to go to England. Um, Neil um, Neil was the coach yep. there, um, and and he's a he's a, his right hand man was Don Howe. Um, I spent three months in England. At, in, they put me up in a in a hotel in 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 in, in London, was uh, in London, and um, I spent three months. And the problem was, um, I found it hard to get a work permit. So they were trying to get me a work permit so I could sign. So we'd already agreed on terms. I was playing practice matches every week and playing and training with the first team. Who were some of the players in that Arsenal uh, team at Wood, that time? Woodcock was there, you know. Liam Brady? Ch- Liam Brady, yeah. Charlie Nicholas, you oh. know. You know, these guys were all there. It, pretty much Talbot, all the, all the, all the you know, all the guys um, from, from Arsenal in the day, you mm. know what I mean? So um, O'Leary, you know, um, Oh, God, I forget now. Yeah, so, so in, with your England career, do you, do you regret that you, you weren't there longer? Um, regret? Obviously, you regret certain things in life that could have, could have, but should have and didn't. But at the, at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm grateful because football's been good to me and I've had a good run in football. And, um, yeah, we, you know, didn't go to the World Cup. Yeah, we got, like, got injured. But um, I'm still grateful that, it, you know, uh, it's been good to me. Of course, you go overseas these days, you sign for an Arsenal or a Bayern Munich and you're instant millionaire. Probably your kids and their kids would be millionaires also with those sort of contracts. Can you tell us a little bit of, a, of the sort of money you may have been getting at Nottingham Forest in those days or what Arsenal was offering too? Yeah, well, my basic salary was um, £1,500, you know what I mean? So that was quite a, you know, back in... Per the, game? Yeah, per yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so, you know, back in... Well, I don't, and I wouldn't be one of the high rollers, you know what I mean. But that was that was my basic salary. But did they look after you when you were injured, or did yeah, no. You, you, yeah. Listen, when you were buying and and even buying, they were so professional. Mm. Nottingham, they were so professional, and you know they looked after me, car, and you know I stayed in uh, West Bridgeford in a in a in a hotel there. They looked after me there, and. Um, until they found me a unit, and then they paid for all that. So mm. it was good. It was good. To, uh, no, I got no qualms in terms of how they looked after me. There's, that wasn't the issue there. It was just you know, a bit of bad luck, and uh, yeah, it's part of life, I guess. And did you ever have club versus country problems? Like, having... I did. I did with Scotland. You know what I mean? Um, with issues there, but. Um, we got over that, you know. There was with with Forrest about releasing me in in terms of going back to Australia and stuff, but they were World Cup qualifiers, so you know they weren't happy about that. Mm. If you've just joined us, we've been chatting with uh, Socceroos legend Alan Davidson. Uh, it's been fascinating listening listening to Western Sydney Wanderers tonight uh, and Sydney FC uh, played out a, a nil all draw. Wellington Phoenix defeated Central Coast Mariners. One nil in the big bash. Uh, the stars are one for forty-two. They need ninety-three ones runs off ninety-one balls, so they should do it in a canter. Hey, when we come back, uh, we're going to uh, take a flashback, a step back in time when the Diego's in two thousand and five interviewed John Aloisi about that goal. Stick around for that. This is the Four Diego's on eleven sixteen SEN, Melbourne's home of football. Thanks for joining us on the disco edition of the Four Diego's on a Saturday night here on SEN. Hope you're enjoying our conversation. Uh, with uh, Socceroos legend uh, Alan Davidson. And, uh, 
Hey, we wanted to talk to Ellen uh, about uh, his Socceroos uh, life and, and what it was like, but uh, we thought to you know put in some context there, we, we thought we'd uh, play a flashback, an interview that we did uh, after the 2005 World Cup qualifier where uh, John Aloisi uh, scored that penalty and he went tearing uh, down <laughs> the uh, Sydney Football Stadium. So Without uh, clothes. Without, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Uh, so um, we, we thought we'd play you that tonight and... Uh, and uh, then we'll come back and have a have a chat to to Alan about his Socceroos career. Let's go to uh, the John Aloisi flashback with the Four Diego's. Four Diego's flashback. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Four Diego's flashback. Uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. <laughs> now, John, look, mate, it's a bit of an understatement, but your last penalty kick that you took in your career had a little bit riding on it, mate. Uh, firstly, 32 years of heartbreak, eight failed World Cup campaigns, the hopes of a nation, the lifelong ridicule that your kids would have had to go through if uh, if you'd missed. Uh, Johnny Travolta's job with Qantas was riding on it. You know, how could you be so so cool and calm taking that, uh, that penalty, given that uh, you had a fair bit riding on it, mate? Lucky you didn't give me that talk before I took the penalty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to be honest, uh, it was uh, it was quite strange because at the time I was really calm and uh, I was confident and uh, we were uh, practicing penalties the day before and I said to Lucas Neal, let's go practice up that end after training because uh, I'm sure that if there's a penalty shootout, it'll be up that end. And uh, I had my run-up set up and uh, I took about four or five penalties and they all went in and... Uh, I thought to myself the next day that, uh, you know, if I had to take a penalty, I was confident I'll get one. Well, you know, your goal celebration will be replayed up there with uh, Kathy Freeman's 400 metres win in the Olympics, the America's Cup win, Maccabi Divas, you know, triple Melbourne Cup win. Are you proud that uh, out of all the great moments in sport this country has had, that you celebrated yours by getting naked, mate? (laughs) Actually, when I saw my body on TV, I wasn't too proud of it. <laughs> John, I was going to ask, how, how, how long did it take you to, to get that six-pack going? <laughs> uh, it's taken me a few years. But I'm a bit embarrassed about taking off my top now because nah. the few hairs that I've got on my chest, I think that people are laughing at it. No, actually, I think, John, you should have been wearing one of those old-fashioned singlets underneath with um, will you marry me somebody or a proposal <laughs> of some description or you know, world peace or something that all the players yeah. do. No, it uh, it was a, a good celebration. I thought that, that uh, we all just ran. I I thought that to myself before the game, if we end up winning or scored a goal, that I'll run where my family is, and uh, and that's where I ran to. I knew where I was sitting, and I ran straight there. Um, I think it was just instinctive when I took off my top. I don't know why I took it off. I just uh, went crazy, I think. Now, John, I, th- I suppose penalty shootouts are as much about your keeper saving penalties as you guys putting them in the back of the net. Did you have a sense that um, Mark Swartzer was in good form and um, then after he'd saved the first one, did you sense that he was going to put you in a position where you guys only had to slot them to win sort of thing? Um, to, to be honest, I, I didn't really know how good he was at uh, saving penalties. And uh, when he saved the first one, I thought, well, you know, he went the right way, which is uh, the guy didn't hit it that well and it was a good save. But the, when he saved that once before mine, that was an unbelievable save. Uh, it was probably one of the best penalty saves I've ever seen. And uh, and that's when, uh, you know, I was just confident because uh, I knew that my penalty was to win the game. So it was, it was a pressure penalty, but it was... Um, a lot better than taking it to stay in the game. So I was just getting excited that I was I was taking that penalty and I had the opportunity to take us to the World Cup. 
Take us through it, mate. What were you thinking? Were you thinking, geez, I miss mum's lasagna? <laughs> or, you know, um, what did that something, you know, when you know how really odd thoughts enter your mind when you're just about to do something really important? What, what were you... I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what happened. At the, at the halfway line, we didn't know who was taking penalties, like, because I knew that I was taking one and whoever else was taking it knew who, you know, they were taking it. But, um, I, I asked Lucas Neal before his penalty. I said, "Are you taking one?" He goes, "Yeah, yeah, I'm next." And uh, he goes, "Oh, when are you taking yours?" I said, "I'm, I'm the fifth one." And I go, "I'm either going to be the hero or the villain." <laughs> and, uh, sort of joking around, and he goes, "So which one's going to be?" And I just laughed. And I go, "Of course, it's going to be the hero, mate." Uh, and um, and then when I went to take it, I was. I was very confident. Uh, the only time I got a little bit nervous is when I saw Viduka miss his penalty. Mm. I thought, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> we all did, mate. <laughs> now, John, obviously it was a huge thing in this country, but I'm interested, as an Australian player going back to Spain, and obviously the Spanish team qualified in a very similar way at a very similar time, have, has there been interest in, in you being an Australian, going to the World Cup, and did it make news over there, like, as far as... Australia not being there for 32 years and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, massive news, massive. Um, I think also because it was me that took the penalty, so I came back to Spain, it was big news. And also, good sitting, um, coached quite a few years here in Spain. So it was big news that uh, finally we got there after 32 years and, and the way we did it and against the Uruguayans, which um, a lot of countries dislike the way they play their, their football. But... Um, yeah, it was big news here, and uh, I got a lot of stick for the celebration too. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to the Four Diego's Football Flashback with John Aloisi in 2005, talking about that penalty that got us to the World Cup in Germany. John, it's Carlos again, mate. Now, on the in the papers here in Melbourne, uh, I'm not sure whether it went around to all the all the papers uh, throughout Australia, but there were a, a photo of two little kids holding hand, hand in hand, a young boy and a young girl, would have been no more than five or six years old, wearing an Aloisi top and also a Bresciano top and the front page of the Herald Sun here in, in Melbourne. And uh, it was just a really cute little photo. But it wasn't long ago where it would have been Viduka and Kuehl on the back of those kids' shirts. Now, what's it make you feel like now that... Uh, you, know, you're, you and someone like Bresch is, uh, are the heroes of Australian football. Not to say that Harry, Harry played brilliantly well and Mark was a great leader through the games too, but the, the sharing of the load for the, the hero status, uh, it must make you really proud that you're in amongst that all now. Yeah, it does. Um, it, it made me proud to see that there was uh, 83,000 Australians there in green and gold and then to to see most of the country following the game was it was unbelievable and uh, and also to get so much publicity after it, I don't think it's ever happened in Australian soccer before so it can only be good for, for the game back home and and for myself uh, yeah it's uh, it's a strange feeling to see yourself on the front page of the paper in Australia because uh, soccer hardly makes the back pages and to see yourself on the front page is uh, it's a great feeling too. You know, John, there are a number of, uh, I guess, non-footballing people that were watching the game, particularly women, and they yeah. uh, they scrutinised the team with, uh, with great, in great detail. <laughs> and uh, a lot of them said that it was quite a good-looking team. <laughs> and uh, your name was mentioned quite highly. I think you were rated, ranked at number two the last time we took a poll. <laughs> Behind Lucas Neal. <laughs> Lucas Neal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They were the Diego's wives, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that was just our wives. Yeah, yeah. That's right. They call them the desperate housewives, too. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, the Diego's wives. We took a straw poll at dinner the, about two, two nights after, and they said that it was a very good-looking team. I was really happy about that because that makes yeah. you very marketable, mate. 
Thank you very much. There's um, uh, John Eloise. Uh, geez, good uh, hearing some of those old interviews there, Carlos. And uh, you can catch them on soundcloud.com uh, forward slash Four Diego. So it was good. John Eloise sounded young then too. So did we, by the way. Yeah. Was but, it, um, no, 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 what, more than 10 years ago now, yeah. that one there. So, uh, but, uh, but one of the reasons why we wanted to play that, uh, because it was a special moment, and I think we talked about eight failed World Cup campaigns or... But uh, and Alan, you you were part of a few of those, unfortunately. Oh, and uh, um, that night, tell us about the story about um, what that night meant to not only you but your family and how your son Jason, uh, as part of the Socceroo squad, uh, got to tell his side of the story. Being there that night as a young boy, only aspiring to play for the Socceroos, next to his dad, who'd had a few disappointments with the with the national team. Yeah, well, obviously, um, that night was a huge night for Australia, anyone who was involved or passionate for football. And, you know, I took Jason to Sydney and uh, took him there because I thought it was important that um, he really sees what, you know, the Socceroos are all about. It was a full stadium. How old was Jason at this point? uh, He must have been about, was it 2000... 2005, so... What, uh, 15? 14, 15? 13, 14, Yeah. yeah. So... Uh, no, 13. He would have mm. been 13. And um, 12, 13, actually, I'm thinking about now. So the thing is, um, you know, so I want him to feel it and be part of it and if, if feel the experience and, uh, and atmosphere and, and watch the Socceroos, you know, because we had a world-class Socceroo team and um, if there was a chance for us to qualify, I wanted him to be part of it, you know what I mean? Mm. So, uh, and... And it, and it meant a lot to me as well, you know what I mean, on the night. And, you know, like you said, you talked about the failed, you know, all all those campaigns, you know, and I, I think I talk on behalf of all the Socceroos who were in those campaigns. It was heartbreaking, you know what I mean? And our dream of going to the World Cup, it was heartbreaking. And, and I retired a couple of times from the national team because I was sick of the pain and got talked back into it, you know what I mean? Mm. So... But, you know, anyway, to cut a long story short, Jason was there. I wanted him to um, in, in, embrace it. We won the, we won the game, the, you know, went to penalties and Brest scored. And I, I re- remember it vividly in terms of the result and how it went. And, um, yeah, for me, it, it was very touching. And, um, and, you know, it was interesting because when the Socceroos were in camp, Ange Postacoglu, this was... Uh, one of the one of the officials from the from the camp was telling me the story, and uh, I didn't know nothing about it. And it's, it's amazing how other people remember things of the day as well. And uh, Ange cornered all the Socceroos out of nowhere, and they had a meeting and um, and just asked all the players, "What does it mean to be a Socceroo?" And I think Jason was second up, and and I was told the story that Jason was asked to talk about what does it mean to you to be a Socceroo. And he talked about that night. He said, um, I wanted to be a Socceroo all my life. Um, and that night he met all the Socceroos. And after the game, they just won. His dad introduced him to him all. But he said the most important thing for me was not only the, on the night was not meeting the Socceroos. It was after the result, everyone, the, the atmosphere, everyone was screaming and shouting and carrying on and jumping up and down. And Jason turned to me, you know, excited. And I was crying. I was just sitting there crying. I couldn't believe it. We finally got there. You know what I mean? And um, he, he told that to the to Ange. And um, 
it's you know a moment that he remembered that I didn't you know, remember. I remember it was a touching night, and but I don't remember what he'd seen. So you know, and and then when when he met all the f- players, I talked to him about you know he was in awe and he's looking at him, and I said well, hopefully one day you know one of these guys will be your teammate. You know, so when you mentor Jason, do you in terms of just the, the stuff about game playing, do you also weave in these stories from your past? I teach him to you know the most important thing is to believe that's the most important thing i want him to do and and brainwash him because my mother brainwashed me as well she brainwashed me to you know this japanese culture about perfection and be the best and all that blah 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 when i was young that was what i was brainwashed with and and you know um and i tried to do the same with Jason and Jamie and I want them to understand that dreams come true and you know Jason looked at me when I said when he was with Timmy Cale and Bresciano and I was was only 12 years old and he turned and I said one day these guys will be your teammates you believe it it's possible it depends on how much you want it and you know I sent him a picture when he got you know picked for the national team I pulled out one of those pictures when he was with I pulled out that picture with Timmy Cale and then one picture of him with, as a teammate, and I send it to him. I said, remember that what I said to you, dreams come true. Now, Davo, there'd be a lot of parents driving around tonight, maybe even listening to us, you know, uh, while they're at home, uh, who are, really want to support their kids to be the best they can in football. We see all these academies now. Parents are paying a lot of money to give their kids the best. Now, you're a guy who not only was a, a legendary Socceroo, one of our greatest ever, you've had a son now who's played for the Socceroos uh, in a World Cup campaign and was one of our better players in 2014 in Brazil. He is an Asian Cup winner, uh, which, which is a, a, a first time ever Australia's won the Asian Cup. He's one of those winners. And he's been playing professionally overseas since a young age, and he's been travelling the world. Uh, what If they asked you, what does it take to be a Socceroo... Um, and how, as a parent, do I support my son, or if it's a Matilda, a daughter, uh, to become that? What would you say? Um, mm, I've been asked this question a million times, <laughs> and I thought about it, and I started started really thinking about it deeply, and I came up with an answer, and I thought, <laughs> I cliched it, and I said it was Alan Davidson's Four Keys to Success. I said, you know, without these four keys to success, you won't, you won't, without one or the other, you won't, you won't achieve your, your dream. And the four keys to success, when I thought about it, uh, the number one key to success for me is the mind. You know how to, you know how to understand how the mind works and how strong the mind is. And if you're talking about football, you know, as a four or five year old, you know, when you talk about the mind, you're talking about self-esteem and confidence. But also the mind, interp- there's a lot of, and then I used to get sports psychologists and psychologists to, to present the mind, you know, determination, you know, you talk about mental toughness, you talk about sacrifice and going through all these hurdles in life. And it's all about the mind and understanding how how important and how how strong the mind is and breaking all the category down where that mind can take you anywhere because you believe and you've got to understand that. And I, I looked at the number, that, that is the number one 
to brainwash your children because and to teach them dreams come true teach them about you know hard work but you've, you've got to you've got to let them believe it they've got to feel it in their mind they've got to see the dream but and the only way they really believe it is by doing what jason did he went to japan a country where he couldn't speak the language uh, he went to boarding school there, a football school. Mm. It wasn't uh, a place where he, he was moddy coddled. He was told to stand up and look after himself at, as a 13, 14-year-old. Is that where you tested well, the that thing, mind no, the thing concept? Is, the thing is, what you're asking me as a question is, what does it take to be? And I'm saying the mind, you know, parents have a big pl- a big part in playing with their children and, and developing their children's mind. So understanding how to develop the mind in the best way possible, and that's only one key. Without the other three, you're not going to be successful, in my opinion, anyway. Mm. The other one is your heart. For me, number two is the heart. If you haven't got the passion, don't waste your time. It's got to be an addiction. If you can't get enough of whatever you want to do in life, and it's your passion, what your true passion is. And I didn't know how much Jason wanted it. So that's why we tested him with the Japanese mm. tool and then we'll see what happens. So then we go from number two. Does a passion... Turns into courage yeah, and as okay, you get but, older. But does a passion look like... If a parent's saying, how do I know if my kid's got the passion, is that when they just go off into the backyard for hours and hours and hours and hours and you've got to drag them in... Uh, from playing football by themselves. I mean, is that the addiction you're talking about? I think the addiction is the addiction comes from within the, the child. But what you're talking about, hours and hours and hours, that's all structure. Kids need structure. Parents need knowledge, and then you create the environment. So that's part of number three. Number three is hard work. If if it's diet, you know, food intake, re, uh, hydration. Strength and conditioning, fitness, technique, touch, football knowledge, that's all hard work. You have to put the hard work in. There's no shortcuts. And number four is monitoring it, your short and long-term targets. So they're the four keys. And then you know, once you hit your targets, with an example for Jason, when when I turned around and told him he'd been a striker all his life and said to him, you're a fool. You're gonna, when I went to Japan, I said, listen, they asked me, I asked the three coaches, I said, what's Jason's best position? They said, striker, 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 in behind the front two. And I said, listen, and they asked me, what do you think Jason's best position is? And I said, left back. And they looked at me, Jason looked at me and he goes, what? <laughs> left back. So, but I, looked, I was looking forward. Jason's point of difference, he was a good runner. He was a good long distance runner. Jason probably be an, Olymp- an Olympic runner if he wasn't a footballer. So that's where I, and then teaching him technique and touch and all that. So that's all part of the hard work and hitting your targets. It's interesting because I speak to Jason regularly and, um, you know, we talk about football and he, he's saying that... Um, Everyone, every professional and every professional in, at that level up at, at top in Europe, it's all about weaknesses. They've got mm. no weaknesses. So if you, and f- to the parents out there now, it's the weaknesses that will stop you from playing. Because if you have a weakness, you have to put it in place now to eliminate three. If you've got three or four weaknesses, you've got one year, two years to eliminate those weaknesses because those weaknesses will stop you going forward. It's not your strengths. Everyone talks about these are great runners, technically good, blah, blah, blah. 
Hey, we're going to come back with more of this, but we're going to need to take a break and come back with more of the Four Diego's on 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of sports. Thanks for joining us on the uh, disco version of the Four Diego's this Saturday night. When we were coming up with this disco version, we thought, who is the most disco out of all the Socceroos that we know? And uh, Alan Davidson was a unanimous uh, decision, and he's joined us for two and a half hours, and we've put him uh, through some... Uh, interesting questions tonight, and he's uh, you know been fascinating to hear. So um, let's continue it for the rest of the show, Carlos. We're actually doing it in a dark room. We've got <laughs> yeah, a, just right. a hot light on him. He's sweating a bit, yeah, but uh, but he's um, yeah he's still very fit and he can handle it. You know he's um, yes you know he's been through it all before. He's Absolutely, been in, uh, he's been in tougher conditions, uh, now, Carlos, and the Four Diego's. Now, Davo, obviously with. You know, kids these days are growing up uh, thinking, oh, soccer is going to qualify for every World Cup. You know, we've got stars all over the place. And it's all great. You know, they're winning and all that sort of stuff. But when you you, know, you went through some really difficult times in, in, in an era where there were some real men playing the game and, uh, and there were some real heartbreaks, what was the most disappointing uh, moment for you as a Socceroo? Um, I think the 82 World Cup campaign, you know, when we... It was a it was an easier road to the World Cup. We didn't have to go to South America, and um, we would have played fifth place Asia or something like that. And uh, we lost two nil to New Zealand in the Sydney Cricket Ground, where they went on and they went straight to the World Cup. Mm. So that, that's got to hurt. Yeah, that would hurt. That does. hurt as opposed to playing Scotland or mm. playing Colombia later on in in, in, a, in a game to beat them because we knew we could beat we we knew we could beat uh, New Zealand. We played New Zealand in New Zealand. They scored and they scored on each occasion and were in front. And we came back and re, and we ended up drawing three three. So we had the we had the uh, the character. Yeah. But the thing is, on the night we lost two nil. It was a disaster, and um, and that was the night that um, the team, yeah, the team sort of revolted a bit in a way behind closed doors. And um, the coach was Rudy Goodendorf. Rudy Goodendorf, yeah. and um, a couple, I think it wasn't that long later. Rudy Goodendorf. I'm talking within a week. Rudy, Rudy within the same week, Rudy Goodendorf was gone. So um, I remember the players telling me to sign something and that, and I said, no, I'm not going to sign it. And, and when you say sign something, something that uh, so you're the demanding su- the removal of the coach? Correct. Yeah. These are things that we, you know, that, that book we talked yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> these, we should be talking about these. Yeah, sure. So, Davo, <laughs> obviously, I, I remember that time, and it was, uh, really was a, was a, as much as we had individual, really good individual young players like yourself coming through, the, the national, the national, Setup was a disgrace almost. Uh, even though they were, you know, Rudy Gundorf came with a lot of money, uh, with, you know, with highly paid, uh, he had a pretty good CV and a pedigree, been all around the world. Uh, it just didn't seem like there was a lot of respect in the shirt and, uh, you know, I don't know, the pride that we look for in the soccerers and we get every time they go out now. It didn't seem like we had it all the time then. So they brought in Frank Arrock and, and obviously things changed. And I thought it was the start of an era where respect was put back into the shirt. But can you tell us what... Because you and John Cosmina were the only two that sort of spanned both eras. What was that like for you? Well, I remember meeting Frank on the first day when he walked in. He had a meeting with us and um, he turned around and he said, everyone here except for Davidson and Cosmina, you're all here because of me. And, um, and he said, I'm going to be honest with you. The reasons that you all have something in common that um, is something that we need to um, utilise and earn our respect again 
He said, because you guys have no respect and you're all bastards. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I don't know. That, that, was, that was his words. And, um, and I understand what he meant because it, it was true. The players, you know, they, they're all nasty, hard. Our training sessions, there was always fights. I remember we were in Israel at one time and um, we had an all-in brawl fight. <laughs> this is before a World Cup qualifier, this, wasn't this it? This is before the, the, yeah. the Israel game and, um, and the Israel press were watching and, and, and Frank was saying, switch the lights off. And they were turning around saying, Jesus Christ, what are they going to do to us if they're fighting like that? <laughs> you know? So, yeah. There were, there's been stories that, that, might, that Frank Arrock was trying to manufacture that for the media. But can you just put that to bed now and say that that was a, actually quite real? No. The, the, the aggression and the, and the confrontations in your the, own training sessions? Yeah, absolutely. It was real. You know, there was a lot of... Um, yeah, there were a lot of altercations, there was a, if you want to call <laughs> it that. Was it over hard tackling and things like that or ego? bit of it was um guys didn't take a back step on anyone that was it yeah mm. and, and obviously but when you wore the green and gold together uh you were galvanized as a team though i mean you played that way yeah i think that um i don't know if we were galvanized as a team per se i just think that we were a nasty lot that we're a team that are in a fight and we're going to win this fight and win this battle. And we, you know, were we friends? I question. I don't know. Do, do you get together with those? <laughs> or do you fight? Yeah, do you, no, 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 do, no. Do you get together with, with those? The, because I know the soccer, former soccerers get together. Yeah, we um, get together. We do the certain things. And, you know, that, that's their memories now. You know, forgotten oh, memories. That, funny, you know, some of them. You know, but, to, you know, obviously some players got on with others better than the others. You know what I mean? Mm. And, and there was, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a nasty environment. But it, when I say nasty, it wasn't nasty in a negative way. They were just nasty winners. Everyone mm. wanted to win. Everyone wanted to be the best. And everyone wanted to, you know, have it his way. Mm. And it, like in terms of those guys that you played with, are, are any you mates with any of them in particular? Or you just you see each other at functions and that's about I, it? Yeah, I sort of... In Melbourne, we don't see too many, you know, like we, we have little get-togethers here and there, but um, generally speaking, um, it's only when the soccer roos are in town, we all get together and, you know, that's it, and then we don't see each other for the next four years, you know what I mean? Mm. How does, I mean, you um, have been selected in the best 11 soccer roos of all time. I mean, how does that make you feel? I mean, it's just unbelievable. Really, I mean, it's not unbelievable. It's just, I mean, if, if I'm thinking about it in the context of you being here and us loving the Socceroos, um, you know, do you know what I mean? How do you feel? How does that make you feel? Uh, yeah, I. <laughs> Can uh, you believe it? Is it something that you know? I'm you, proud. I'm yeah. proud of it. You know what I mean? If you, I, I'm proud. Um, I'm grateful. Um, but, but you know, the Socceroos. For me, was it was a job in a, in a sense that I could play for my country, and that was the biggest thing, playing for your country. Because once you've played for your country, you start to realise how proud you are being Australian, and that's for me the the most important thing Australia ever given me is the opportunity to play for my country, and then. In that, I got to travel all over the world and see how lucky we are in our country. And that's what I have to offer and say that that was the most important thing that what 
I got out of playing for Australia and going all over the world. I got an education and like my dad said, you know, we're Australian. I'm going to ask you the interview question um, because this is when we do a Socceroos series, we always ask this question. You've played with some amazing players, right? And who who just sticks out in your mind as the play with with or against? I mean, who's the best you've ever played with or against? Oh, that's um, <laughs> it's a tough question. That's, yeah, um, against I you know played against a lot of good players. Romario comes to mind. Mikhail Lichenkov, you know, from Soviet Union, he comes to mind. Um, yeah. Um, Best player to drive you to training? <laughs> That's an easier question. Yeah, you know. Yeah, so what was his car? It was Mercedes. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. So Carl Heinz used to drive yeah. Alan Davidson to training. That's a win. That's yeah. an education. So, you know, um, yeah, to name Australian players, one comes to mind that probably no one would mention, but I'd mention him. You know what I mean? Terry Greedy. Mm. You know, someone who'd done his job, courageous, and, you know, great character. And he was a gentleman even mm. in this environment. <laughs> he, he was a gentleman. He's a principal and he's involved. Mm. But I, I, I took a lot out of meeting him because of his personality, because and he wasn't a bastard. I didn't have to look over my shoulder. You know what I mean? So it was great, you know? Yeah. So, and he was, he was a calm factor in the mm. team as well. Uh, mm. Well said. I mean, questions like that without notice are yeah. very, very difficult live on air. Hey, really great stuff. Well, we're going to come back with a little bit more of the Diegos. Just in the EPL, Tottenham won. Harry Kane scored um, 17, in the 17th minute. Uh, West Bromwich Albion nil. There's the, an EPL update for you. Let's take a break and come back with more of the Diegos on 11.16 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport. There you go. They've worked it out, Rodrigo. They've yeah. worked it out. Well, this Good is man. a slow dance at the end of the night. That's right. That's right. So. If you get this slow dance under the revolving it's silver end ball. Well. Yep. This is the Four Diego's. We hope you've enjoyed our retrospective uh, yeah. with Alan Davidson, the Socceroo legend. One of the greatest uh, Socceroos of all time. One yep. of the 11 greatest Socceroos <laughs> of all time. That's uh, Absolutely. I, I can't say it any clearer than that. Yeah. Um, we hope you've enjoyed it. But, um, Carlos, you want to ask the, uh, couple of, one more question? Yeah, and I demand an answer, Dave, on this one. <laughs> of course, uh, Bess Barisha and Melbourne Victory are busily getting their legal team together to fight uh, this red card that was given to them. Um, look, no one, no one from the FFA are listening at this time. Just uh, tell us, <laughs> what's your tip? Is he going to get off or not? Oh, you'd have to wait for the footage. <laughs> <laughs> the seven angles. So, once the footage, the footage confirms everything. Once you get all the seven angles, yeah, and um, yeah, it'll be interesting then. Do you think you'll know by three angles, or do you have to, you'll, you'll watch all seven? Personally, I didn't think it was that bad, but you know that's based on the back yeah, footage, the back angle. Yeah, so you know, I'm like you know, and and, and listening to um, Aloisi on TV yeah. saying it wasn't, and then yeah. you're listening, you know, what's his name? Uh, Luke DeVere said, yes. listen, it was an accident, he didn't mean it. And you know, DeVere, so. what, what complicates things too is DeVere is not one to fall down you know, and act. He's never done that before, so, um, yeah. Well, Alan, we've, we've got, the show's finished, so we just <laughs> want to thank you for spending so much time with the Diegos. It was fascinating stuff, so uh, you're welcome. You, you know, you've done your, your job start thing. You're a Diego <laughs> now. Thank, thanks very much, Alan. No, my pleasure. Thank you. Okay, that's it for this week's show. So remember, Carlos. Where are Puerto Rican girls hang out? We'll, we'll be there. there. Wherever you Samba, Rumba and La Bamba. We'll, we'll be there. there. Wherever girls with fruit on the head and balls at their feet. We'll, we'll be there. there. Wherever gringos play football. We'll, we'll be there. there. We are the four Diegos. Olé. Olé.